Okay, we're ready to get started on our next section, which is going to cover Numbers chapters 18 through 20. Um, last time we got together, we hit the very uh, pinnacle, the top of the chiasm mm. with Aaron's staff budding and then being preserved uh, for the Israelites to remember um, because they needed several reminders that of who God had chosen and specifically um, the Levites in particular, that that's where he had put his focus. And so we are about to go into chapter 18 with still that focus um, on the Levites. And um, and I, before we jump in one chapter at a time, um, Sherry or... Elizabeth or Joe, were there any things that stood out to you uh, overall in this section 18, 19, and 20? Uh, Elizabeth, you look like you'd like to get started. Sure. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting how 18 and 19 are more rules and less narrative. Um, but I thought it was really important in the context of being on the heels of Korah's Rebellion and on the the back end of Aaron's uh, staff budding and that display of authority. It's like, okay, you are the authority. You are who is in charge. That means you got to do your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then switching back to the narrative, chapter 20 seems kind of all over the place. So I would be interested in talking through how that ties together more just as an overall goal. Yeah, and I, again, that to me go, speaks to what is uh, a huge benefit of doing this together uh, like we're doing is I feel like when I go through it on my own, I feel like I have a lot more questions than actual, okay, here's what I can pull from this. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as we talk through it, it is so much more helpful and a lot clearer Mm -hmm. um, in connecting dots and things like that. So appreciate you bringing that up. Sherry, what about you, the overall picture? um, So uh, you talked for a second about the uh, the center of the chiasm being Aaron's rod budding. So um, now we're going back down the other side. So um, when you, uh, you've got um, a chiasm that starts in chapter 10, verse 11, and goes down through 21, verses 1 through 3. Excuse me, 21 verses till, uh, till verse, through verse 20. So you have A, B, C, a is the journey. The journey begins. Uh, B is the complaint about hardships, manna, and no food. Then you have Miriam punished for her sin with Aaron. Is C. D is Korah's rebellion. So, or no, excuse me, that's not Korah's rebellion. It's a rebellion at Kadesh where they where they decided not to go into the Promised Land. So that was the rebellion. That's D. So um, then we had ritual regulations. And E and the holiness of Aaron above the Levites challenged in F, which is court's rebellion. Okay. And then G, the center, which is Aaron's rod budding, saying that, okay, Aaron, the priesthood, that's the that's that's Aaron is the priest, Aaron's family are the priests, and that's the center of the chiasm. So then you're going back down now to the holiness of Aaron being above the Levites explained and and in in chapter 18 we have it have all these regulations based on what is connected with the levites and what is connected with the priests you have a difference you know Mm -hmm. the levites can do this only the priests can have 
this. Right. Um, and then, um, and then, then you have uh, uh, the more ritual regulations in chapter 19 um, uh, regarding purification of the people, um, which is corresponding with E on the way up the chiasm, which is about offerings and ritual regulations. And then D is um, chapter 20, which is another rebellion at Kadesh. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize this, but the, the, the rebellion about the water coming out of the rock and Aaron and, and Moses rebelling as well happens at Kadesh Barnea, which is the same exact place where they rebelled and said they didn't want to go in. Right. And um, uh, then in chap it, also in chapter 20, you have Aaron punished for that sin. Um, and uh, that's C going down, back down mm -hmm. the chiasm. And C going up the chiasm was Miriam being punished. Mm -hmm. um, of course, Miriam dies in this chapter as well. But um, Aaron is being punished for the, his, specifically for the rebellion against God, where he and Moses both sort of took the preeminence. Um, and then in the next couple of chapters, we're going to have complaints about hardship, manna, and no food, and then the end of the journey in, in A, which which will be at the end. So, yeah. So that's that's sort of why that's arranged like that. So, Joe, here is the thing that I uh, desperately want, and that is for Kelly to write a hymn about <laughs> the complaints along the way in numbers. I mean, real. I mean, in sort of you know, sort of silly but sort of serious. Uh, it is just interesting when you when we are looking through the structural components of this. Of this would make for a great song. Of you know, just the mm -hmm. the movements of. You know, here we go, yeah. all right, complaint, and then we're going to rebel, and then God's going to have to bring us back. And, you know, just the, anyway, makes yeah. me think of movements in my head. And, <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. So, anyway, okay. Um, anything else before we start jumping in chapter by chapter for anyone that didn't get mentioned already? Okay. I just didn't want to overlook anything, um, but we do have a lot to cover. So, um, chapter 18, I'm going to attempt to walk through. Um, as Elizabeth already brought out, it's not... Um, it's not as narrative friendly um, as some of the other chapters that we'll look at, but um, but it starts off uh, as many of the other chapters will start off. The Lord said to Moses, but in this case, it's the Lord said to Aaron. Okay, and so he's addressing um, Aaron and his sons specifically, and says that they must. My, this translation says, "Bear the iniquity of the sanctuary," and then again it goes into. Uh, the explanation of what that actually means. Um, and he says that um, while they are to minister and be before the tent of the testimony, they are not, they are specifically not to touch the furnishings, the altar, um, or both they and Aaron would die. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, he really emphasized no unauthorized person uh, shall approach the, uh, those things or Aaron um, they, they cannot approach him if they are an unauthorized person mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. then he goes next into um, kind of his explanation that this is all because God has chosen the Levites 
from among the Israelites in there. And I thought it was really interesting that he pulls out and says, the reason is you are a gift from me to the Israelites. And, and what you do, what you offer the Israelites is that you perform the duties for the tent of meat. Like that is your set apart purpose. Um, and so he goes into to the details of, of that and just spelling that out very clearly. Um, and then as Elizabeth alluded to before, you know, verse eight starts, now here's the responsibilities. Um, you know, everything that is offered from the people is to be the Levites. Well, in all of those offerings, they are to offer up back to God, you know, a tenth just as the people do um, back to God. And he said, you know, all these things are to be holy unto you. So he is, you know, he is providing fully for the Levites. And there's so much that I really appreciated in this chapter speaking to um, their complete trust in God's ability to care for them fully. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, The other part of this chapter is in this next section, uh, starting in verse 11, um, where he's talking about the uh, raised offering and uh, ends ends that verse with saying, whoever is ceremonially clean in your house may eat of it. So um, we're going to get into a lot more of this ceremonially clean in the next few verses. Um, he, he goes through all of the best things are given specifically to the Levites. And then at the end of verse 12, he says, whoever, everyone who is ceremonially, ceremonially clean in your household may eat of it. And then we look in the next few verses at, um, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So hold on, hold on to that clean thought. We'll get to the unclean in just a minute. Um, he, he walks through all the firstborn being, um, devoted to God, but then the unclean animals, of course, cannot be devoted to God. So what must happen with that? They're redeemed just as the firstborn sons. And my assumption is, and Sherry, you can, uh, speak to this later if you like, but, um, my assumption is that if it's not something that can be offered as a burnt offering, Mm -hmm. it must be redeemed. And so that seems to me what's uh, what is going through in the next several verses of everything yeah. firstborn that goes to me if you cannot burn it. In other words, a human um, or a an unclean animal that needs to be redeemed. Um, after he goes through the the holy um, animals that are firstborn, like the cow, the sheep, the goat. Um, those are uh, specifically set apart first and foremost to the Lord, but also here um, for the Levites for their for their sustenance. Um, then uh, this and this is where one of my questions came in: um, a covenant of salt. I know I've heard that mm-hmm. phrase before, but I did not uh, research to see where I've seen that. So if anyone wants to. Um, after I wrap this up, go back and, and help me out on that. Um, I was curious where I've seen that before because I know this isn't the first or the only place that that, that is mentioned um, as well. But anyway, he ends this section with saying, this is a co- covenant of salt forever 
um, for your descendants. In other words, this is not just a one-time thing. Um, and then starting verse 20, um, back to God's, you know, the trust in God to take care of them. You have no inheritance here. That's not what you're set up for. The other tribes, they have inheritances in the land. The Levites are for a very different purpose. Um, the last, well, excuse me, the next section, um, starting in verse 25, where he swamps from speaking to Aaron to speaking to Moses. You are to speak to the Levites, and you must tell them that, um, well, this is where he specifies that your tenth, you know, comes from the offerings that have been given to you from the people. Mm -hmm. And um, and then starting in verse 30, um, sorry, 32, mm -hmm. you will bear no sin concerning it when you offer up the best of it. You may not, you must not profane holy things of the Israelites or else you will die. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I think the unclean is going to be in 19 um, where we're mm -hmm. talking about being yeah. removed from the camp. So mm -hmm. I jumped way ahead on that. Um, so that ends in, ends the first chapter we're covering. Um, mainly just going over uh, the role of the Levites, but specifically Aaron and his sons um, as they are. And this is started off with the first month. Uh, is that right? That must be 19. I'm mixing mm -hmm. up with I'm sorry. Okay, so I'll leave that for 19. Um, so from 18, Elizabeth, what uh, observations did you have from that chapter? Yeah, so the whole thing... Um, I feel like we've already quoted this in recent chapters, but this idea of with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, is even in that um, like first or second verse, it's talking about um, they're keeping guard over the, or sorry, verse five. Um, the Levites are ministering so that, um, oh shoot, I lost it, sorry. There will not be wrath against the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. So, their job is almost like being a like a buffer between mm -hmm. God and the people because if the unclean people come too close they're going to die which is stuff they've complained mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. they're like um mm -hmm. it was yeah the end of 17 they're like hey we can't go near the tabernacle we're going to die and so God says to Aaron hey this is how people don't die mm -hmm. <laughs> um so i think it it flows very well like why we would have these regulations after this little narrative bit Mm -hmm. Um, I did think that the, the kind of complete and full trust in God to provide is really kind of poignant here. First in like just their food, because you take what's from the tithes and the offerings. And then it says that they're not going to have a land inheritance once they get to the promised land. Um, and I, I don't know, I just think it's really, really interesting and kind of pertinent to us um, just how we're not promised any physical blessings here necessarily, but if we are in Christ and we have God, then that should be enough. We should be content with whatever we end up with. Um, which if you look through just the whole narrative of the Bible, that doesn't happen mm -hmm. with the Levites, especially when you get kind of corruption in the leaders, um, and it's just not enough for them anymore. Mm -hmm. um, 
I made another note somewhere else and I lost it. So maybe it wasn't as important. <laughs> no, that's not for 19. I think that was the most important stuff I had okay. from 18. All right, Sherry, what did you want to pull from 18? <clears throat> okay, so uh, about your question regarding the salt. Yeah. Um, I looked it up and because um, I was wondering about this too. So there's there was a mention of salt back when we studied Leviticus. Uh, back at the beginning of Leviticus, it says that you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. Mm -hmm. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain. So um, so that's one place. Then there's another place in 2 Chronicles 13, verse 5, that says, Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. Okay. So I'm taking that verse... And this verse in Numbers 18, um, uh, as a covenant of salt that he's giving to the priests, as if, um, because we talked about how salt is a preservative and it makes things last mm -hmm. a long time. And so um, the kingship over Israel was a covenant of salt with David. In other words, it's going to be continuous, it's going to last for a long time yeah um and so similarly there's a covenant of salt with the household of aaron because they're gonna always be the priests so mm -hmm. uh, i think that's probably what he means by that like okay. it's it's a it's an everlasting covenant mm -hmm. it's like one that's preserved and continues to go on even after you're gone after aaron's right. gone that doesn't mean the covenant's done and no it keeps going after right. that and it's just just like when david died the covenant with david was still uh it was still in effect yeah. and would be continually mm -hmm. um and so i think that's probably what he means by that um <clears throat> uh, uh the other things that i noticed were um excuse me i need to get back to my text here um um uh like Elizabeth, I noted that it's like the Levites are supposed to be sort of a buffer between the people and and the priests. And he says that the Levites are a gift to you. Mm -hmm. So the Levites are a gift to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And it says the priesthood is a gift. Mm -hmm. And um, they're not going to get any um, inheritance of land. And it's mentioned in previous passages I think in the book of Leviticus that the priesthood is your inheritance right. like, and so I think and I think in some places God even says I am your inheritance mm -hmm. so you're inheriting me you don't need land mm -hmm. that's verse 20 yeah <clears throat> so um, um, so um, so I, I, that just sort of explaining to the Levites that it's not a curse that you don't that you're not going to get any land right like that's a, actually a gift because mm -hmm. what you're inheriting is far greater than a piece of land right and the practical um, application of that is that you can't have just one section of land that has all the Levites in it because mm -hmm. the Levites are the ones that are ministering and they're supposed to be a buffer between the people and the priesthood well yeah. If all the priests and all the Levites live in one spot, then who do you have to minister to the people? Because the Levites were supposed to be teachers mm -hmm. of the law, and so how is that going to happen if 
they're not sort of spread out throughout the throughout the um, the uh, land. So so just as a practical matter, that wouldn't work even if they were to inherit uh, land, um, and that um, that you know they were supposed to trust in God that through the contributions of the people they would be taken care of. They didn't have to you know raise gardens and things like that. People would bring things and they would eat from that. Um, um, it's also it, it, it's, it's it, it, the the um, the phraseology at least in my translation says the tithe of the people is theirs but they must give a tithe of the tithe yeah <laughs> so so um, uh, they're not to take at all they're supposed to give and then in verse uh, verse 29 starting in verse 29 um, Uh, in, uh, basically in verse 30, therefore you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the wine press. So, in other words, everybody, including the Levites and including the priests, is to offer the best of the best to God, mm -hmm. and then the rest of it is theirs. Right. And so um, the first fruits, um, the first fruits from the womb, um, all the all the animals that are firstborn animals are dedicated to God, and then the rest of them, you know, uh, you can use. And so I think that's just the principle that we have throughout the book of Leviticus and also in the book of Numbers when we have all these regulations. And you present your best to the Lord, and then trust that He'll provide for you mm -hmm. what you need. And I, that's one mm -hmm. of the themes that is so, it just impresses me everywhere that I run across it in scripture is God's continual message of give, tr show me your trust mm -hmm. by jumping, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and trusting that I'm on the other end to catch, you mm -hmm. know, and, and just in so many different scenarios mm -hmm. after scenario that he tries to get that through to us. Um, and I think, you know, it's just a shame when we jump to the New Testament where it's like, um, it seems like a lot of times we kind of give this, you know, oh, it's so glad that we don't have to, you know, give up all these, you know, sacrifices and this, that, you know, and missing the point entirely mm -hmm. that it's, it is us. It has always been us. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he has been trying to get that through to us, you know, for a very long time through physical things, through mm -hmm you know, a number of ways that he's trying to get that lesson through. Um, but I do think that for a lot of us, I know for me, it maybe it doesn't take until it hits us personally. Oh, you mean everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you mean I, I really do need to trust that mm -hmm. I can give my all that I have and you will bless me mm -hmm. in return, you know, in the in the way that, I need to be blessed, if that makes sense, you know, and mm -hmm. think about, you know, of course, in the New Testament, when Jesus says the woman who gives her two mites, you know, is given more than anybody else, and, you know, just those kind of examples, so anyway, I just appreciate you bringing that out, mm -hmm. because I do think it's it's such a beautiful thing that even in the book of Numbers, where, you know, we can find difficulty, you know, sliding through, there's just beautiful lessons that God's still trying to teach. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, 
I, I struggle with, you know, how much of this is appropriate to tack on to us as priests, you know, um, in the, the New Testament sense. Um, but, you know, in walking through some of this, so much of it does seem to connect well with, as Christians, this is these are the same things that we are to be doing at least to some degree um so anyway i don't know how much to press that or not but it just it does seem to fit i think of what god calls us to be in the new testament so anyway um okay any other thoughts before we move on to 19 sherry nope okay all right um so elizabeth do you mind running through the narrative on 19 for us sure so 19 the header that i have is laws for purification so the first little section verses 1 through 10 is the um the commandment to uh, sacrifice a heifer uh, without defect without blemish which is pretty standard for any offerings and it's going to be slaughtered outside the camp and then eliezer the priest um is gonna take the blood and he's gonna sprinkle the the tabernacle with it and then you burn up the entire cow which is different than some other kinds of burnt offerings that just like burn part of it and as you're burning it you also put in cedar hyssop and scarlet yarn and you throw that into the fire with the with the cow and that didn't make a ton of sense to me at the beginning but I have a theory that I'll <clears throat> I'll mention when it comes back up at the end. Um, and Sherry may have some actual real knowledge about it. <laughs> so then the priest, so Eleazar, is going to wash his clothes and uh, wash in water. And then he can come back and uh, be clean. But you're unclean until evening. And then... The guy who is burning the heifer, so it's a different guy, um, does the same thing, washes in water, unclean until evening. Mm. And then you take the ashes and you put them outside the camp, but still in a clean place. And it's the water for impurity. And it just kind of stops there and <laughs> shifts to dead right. bodies. So you're like, <laughs> okay, what are you supposed to do with this? Which contributed to my initial confusion. Um... The next bit is um, 11 through, um, I'm going to lump it in through 19. My Bible has them as two different paragraphs, but it's about dead bodies. So basically it's this general rule of anyone touching a dead body. Whether you mean to or not, you're going to be unclean for a week. And you have to cleanse yourself on the third day and the seventh day. So taking two baths in between there. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't do that, you're not going to be clean. Um, and it's not entirely clear whether someone would intentionally not wash themselves or just kind of forget. But if you don't do that, you're going to get cut off from the people. So they take the cleanliness super seriously, especially when we think back to like Leviticus and stuff like leprosy. If you're not clean, that's how disease is spread. So there's a very practical aspect of it. Um, further down, it's um, more specific laws about like where someone dies. All the stuff is going to be unclean. Um, 
And so you're, um, anyone that dies, they have to clean the, clean the tent, clean the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're flicking the water of, impu- of purification that's got the ashes of the heifer in it on all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'll introduce my theory here now. Mm-hmm. When you soak certain kinds of ashes in water, it turns into lye. So you make soap. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that they're making lye and flicking it on stuff to clean it. Um, and it's got the same kind of wash, sprinkle things on the third day and the seventh day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this last little chunk is verse 20, which is a general condemnation of people that don't cleanse themselves. Um, and you're cut off from the midst of the sanctuary or midst of the assembly because you have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. So not only is it important from just a practical standpoint of being clean, not spreading disease, not spreading whatever germs may have killed this guy, um, but specifically showing this respect and honor for God and for his purity and the um, kind of holiness of the congregation in general. Um, And it just kind of concludes with this thought that um, if you're unclean, everything you touch is going to be unclean. And if you touch unclean stuff, you're going to be unclean. And you have to follow these very strict laws for purification. So that was my general overview of the narrative. I'm very much looking forward to your input, Sherry. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I think, I think your theory is correct. Um, it made me think of, um, I, I had to read the whole chapter. I was like, okay, what's this water of impurity stuff? And then it sort of explains it later on. You have to like read the whole chapter to figure out what, what they're talking about here. And so I noticed in verse 9, it brings it up. Then in verse 13, it brings it up again uh, uh, in, in a negative way. It's like people who weren't um, uh, sprinkled with the, the water of impurity. And then in verse 17 and 18, then it really explains it further. For the unclean, they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent and on the furnishings of persons who were there and whoever touched the bone or the, or the slain or the dead grave. So basically, um, that's the water of impurity that, that he's talking about here. So finally, when you read down to verse 19, you figure out, okay. And I, 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 it's, I think it's because, I think for me, it's because... I, that's not a thing that I do. Um, but I think they understood that that's what it was for. Um, um, because the clean water mixed with certain ashes, um, uh, it's like um, um, lye soap and other types of abrasive soaps are made out of ashes and, you know, mixed with water, like lava soap is made out of actual lava, which is basically burned ashes, and, and it makes it abrasive and makes it a good cleanup. Um, uh, so I think that's probably, I think that, I mean, that's, that, that would be my explanation of it. And um, I just think the, the, um, 
the attention to detail on having everything be clean is something that we don't fully appreciate um, because we sort of don't have to do all that stuff because everything that we're used to um, dealing with is sort of already clean. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we've actually got things where they're kind of too clean. Yeah. Um, uh, but but in that day and time, like there was a definite like there was a definite um, uh, benefit to um, making sure that the bacteria that you're associated with with a dead body is not mixed with the living people because because that can be disastrous and um, I mean there's uh, like I think it was back in the 1800s that we finally figured out that okay there's a thing such there's such a thing as bacteria and that you know going from you know doing um, pathology work on a dead body to delivering babies is not a good idea unless you you know sort of wash um, and so um, uh, so I think that's I think that's um, that's the emphasis and and the the thing that impresses me about it is that all these times that we talked about washing 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 in the Old Testament translates over into the New Testament you have to wash in order to be part of the body and how you do that well baptism there's lots of water involved um and and it's about the washing it's about washing away your sins and i i know that it's it's not uh washing away of dirt from the flesh but it is the answer of a clean conscience toward god and so it's a it's ritualistic but it it is a, a symbol of the, the the old testament is is a shadow of what we need to do in order to be able to come into God's presence as priests Mm -hmm. is that we need to be first washed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and that's what the main thing that I derived from 19 is, you know, in addition to, you know, what you two have both walked through and and pulled out is almost the... uh, opposite is the right word but towards the end where it's he who is unclean and does not purify himself that person is cut off because why he has polluted the sanctuary of the Lord he I mean to me it speaks of the New Testament passages that they have judged themselves unworthy almost you know and I know there is the you know the physical cleanliness aspect of this but I don't think we can deny that there is the, like you were saying, the spiritual connections to the New Testament. If you are unclean, you cannot enter into back into the camp, you know. And I do think there is that parallel uh, in the New Testament. Unless you are washed, you cannot be a part of God's kingdom. I mean, it just, you know, over and over, I think he does spell that out very clearly. And then in the New Testament solidifies that of, hey, this is not... Again, it, there was a shadow to point to. This is this is where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it isn't a removal of the filth of the flesh, mm-hmm. it is so important um, to signify this is what I am doing. Yeah. You know. Well, and, and the the allusion to dead things. You know, when you come into the kingdom, 
that part of you is dead, and now you're now yep. you're living. You can't you can't mix up the two. Right. You can't bring the dead things into the yes. Into the oh man, and there's so many epistles that deal so well with that, and I appreciate you bringing that out. That's an excellent point. Anything else on 19 before we jump to 20? Okay, I just in case anybody wanted to know, 19 was my favorite of this section. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's kind of weird, but I just I really appreciated that. Uh, a lot of a lot of good that I gleaned from that. Okay, uh, Sherry, do you mind walking through the narrative then on chapter 20 for us? Okay, so right away we have Miriam dies. Mm-hmm. Boom, first verse. Um, so this is going to be about people dying <laughs> and rebelling. And so it's not a real encouraging chapter. Um, May I ask a quick sure. timeline question on this? So here's where the first month is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um is is this the first month after the Kadesh Barnea incident and after that, you know, the first month of their 40 years or whatever, mm-hmm. or is this some other first month? Which is know? mentioned in what, where is that? Uh, in verse 1 of verse 20. Mm-hmm. Um, the wilderness of Zen in the first month. In the first month, yeah. I think, that, I think so. Okay. I think it's like the first month after... The first month of the 40 years. Okay, that's what I, I mean, was wondering. That seems to me like that. Okay. Um, so Miriam dies at the beginning, and um, it, so Miriam dies at the beginning of the chapter, and Aaron dies at the end. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, so Moses has still got a long way to go by himself. Um, uh, so Miriam dies in verse 1. Uh, she is buried at Kadesh. Um, and it's interesting to me that they're like, they're still hanging around Kadesh after they were told they couldn't go in. But, um, but that's where they are. Um, uh, then you have, then you go into the re- uh, the, another rebellion at Kadesh, um, which is the waters of Meribah. The people complained about not having water. Um, uh, and this time, um, uh, Moses and Aaron are told to bring water out of the rock by speaking to a rock. And Moses, I, whether it's because the last time this happened, he struck the rock, and so that seems like a good idea this time. Um, God doesn't tell him to strike the rock. He tells him to speak to the rock, and it'll pour forth water. And um, Moses, um, for some reason, gets uh, is angry, which, which justifiably he's angry with the people, but then... He sort of takes um, takes matters into his own hands, and um, and and it seems like the attitude is that he's taking the preeminence, uh, saying, "I'm going to bring you this water out of this rock." Um, uh, it says he does did it twice, which kind of indicates to me that it wasn't an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if he just basically you know tapped it once, then maybe. That was just an accident, but he struck it twice. So that's an indication to me that it was on purpose that he did that. And, um, and so, um, uh, and God says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So uh, the first time they were rejected at Kadesh and said, okay, this whole company of people is not going to go in only the children their children are going to go in save Joshua and Caleb and then now again 
um, God's at the same place saying, okay, you're not going in either. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you and Aaron are included in the group of people that are not going to be able to go in. Um, uh, then, um, then the next section is about um, them finally leaving from Kadesh, uh, or trying to leave from Kadesh, and uh, they wanted to go through Edom. Uh, Edom says, nope, can't come through. And they, you know, promise not to take anything, not to mess anything up. We'll pay for whatever we, you know, whatever we take, whatever water we drink, whatever. We just want to go through, and Edom is definitely saying, no, you're not, in fact, sending an army to defend it and say, okay, really, you can't come through. Um, um, then, um, then, so they're forced to go around. Edom is going to pay for that later on um, uh, for not letting um, their brethren go through. Um, and then... Um, and then in verses 22 through 29, um, we have a situation where Aaron, uh, where Aaron dies. And he goes up on top of Mount Hor, um, which is on the edge of the land of Edom. So they're still trying to go figure out how to get, get to where they're going without going through Edom. Which I figure, okay, they're going to be wandering for 40 years. So what difference does it make which way to go? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, so... <laughs> They have to go around, but so what? They're going to be wandering around out there anyway. So, um, but anyway, um, so um, Aaron is stripped of his priestly garb, and it is put on to Eleazar in the sight of the people. And I think the reason for that is that so the people would know that okay, now Eleazar is in charge, and it's not like Aaron was the only priest, and then once he's gone, we don't have a priest. Yeah. Actually, his son is is. Um, given the, and so this is God giving his stamp of approval that, okay, now Eliezer is going to be the priest. Aaron is going to die. And, um, and then they, they, they mourn for Aaron for 30 days. So apparently they stay there in the same place. And so they still haven't gone past Edom, uh, at that point. So, so that ends the chapter. I'm a very tangent, you know, side note. I miss the days when we mourned for 30 days. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was just a right. given, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, grieve. Yeah, just do. Mm -hmm. Except, you know. do that for a while instead of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next thing. <laughs> it's been a whole three days. Yeah. So why don't you not even pass this? Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay. So uh, chapter twenty, Elizabeth, we'll start with you. What observations did you have there? Um, they didn't mourn for Miriam. <laughs> uh, like I realize she's not the priest, but um, it seems like she's had an influential role this yeah. time. So yeah. mm -hmm. I don't know. You get one verse about your death, and no, thirty days of mourning. That kind of that stuff. is so interesting. Yeah. I can't remember any woman that was noted as being mourned over. Now that you say that, it makes me very sad. I'm sure they were, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, I don't see any yeah. procession or anything <laughs> until the New Testament, and then you've got you know the purple and oh, whatever you yeah. know that ceremony anyway yeah. go ahead um yes i i know moses didn't do the right thing but i also can't really blame him <laughs> if we've talked about for the last few chapters about how much these people are complaining how frustrating it is to us how frustrating it is to moses how frustrating it is to god and he was near about on his last straw mm -hmm. last time mm -hmm. <laughs> and it 
it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But also, that's the moment that you can use to rely on God and trust in him. And instead, he ends up glorifying himself because he's just done with them. Yes, <laughs> right. And... Um, I do think it's interesting that even though Moses did not obey, didn't do what he was supposed to do, God still provided for the people, Mm -hmm. which makes me think a lot about a just kind of ongoing discussion that I like to bring up, which is God uses imperfect people to accomplish his will, Mm -hmm. and even when people don't obey, God's still going to make sure his will is done. So he's taking care of the people. He's not going to not take care of them, yeah. even though Moses isn't acting right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that really shows mm-hmm. God's mercy because um, he could have struck Moses down too. He could have been mm-hmm. done with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not provided raw water. That's not mm-hmm. what I told you to do, so no water coming out of this rock. Right, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but it just makes me think of you know the, the even the most humble man, you know, as far as outside of Christ to walk the face of the earth, you know, to get to the point where he's done, you know, uh, and to see what that looks like, and and mm-hmm. it, there is you know to me there's a helpfulness in that of you know not only. Yes, he was a real man and, you know, had the the weaknesses that real men do. But also, you know, as we will see later, when he does die, how merciful God is in the way that that happens. And also that there, I mean, he obviously is not missing out on eternity in heaven over mm-hmm. this. He is missing out on having the honor of getting them into the promised land. And just that sort of... Um, interesting God always knows just the right amount you know of correction and you know that sort of thing that sticks out to me as you're talking through that but anyway didn't mean to interrupt your thought no that was there like that um that was kind of the end of my thoughts on that section um I don't know the Edomite thing just seems very strange to me, and maybe it's because we've just gotten to the part in the Genesis class mm-hmm. where Jacob and Esau are, like, friends again, yeah. and they're cool. Um, and then it's, like, 400 years pass, and they're, like, mad at each other again, and they even say, like, your brother, thus says your brother Israel, like, just mm-hmm. invoking that kinship relation, and they're like, no, we're going to send an army out after you. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I guess... I didn't have a very good explanation for this and didn't make a ton of sense. Like, they're just asking to pass through. They're not really bothering you. So I guess my best explanation was that um, this is just part of the overarching, almost like archetype mm-hmm. of Jacob and Esau where they're just always going to be in conflict, even we see, even though we see the individuals themselves being cool. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That was very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any anything else really about the death of Aaron other than it's kind of embarrassing to go up on the mountain and get your clothes taken away and then you just die and like I know he had other clothes like they're doing it in front of people obviously he's going to be covered up but that I don't know that just seemed kind of sad to me which is yeah almost demeaning Mm -hmm. um when I was talking to it with Ryan I used the word humiliating and I don't think humiliating is really appropriate but that was the first thing that popped into my head just like on top of the mountain, about to die. I think I've been talking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, God had just, you know, let 
Aaron Todd said and said to everyone basically, here's my spokesman. And then he and Moses go like almost immediately after that. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. It does kind of seem like after God stood up, put him in front of everyone and said, here's my, you know, immediately he goes and messes up. So, you know, maybe that's the consequence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. On this chapter in particular, I appreciate, you know, we, we get back into the narrative, and to me, it's a, it is a more comfortable place to kind of walk through. Um, but also, the, at least for, for my readings, you know, it is a difficult reading because of, you know, the people, their continual you know, just bitterness and, and um, frustrating um, demeanor. And then, um, and to see these great leaders who have taken so much weight um, kind of, in some senses, fall underneath the, the pressure of it. But Elizabeth, when you were bringing out about this, this is the opportunity for them to show their dependency on God and I, and that's the that I think that's the rub of it and that's the difficulty for us is you know good enough well enough that you know we are kind and and speak words of wisdom and love under easy circumstances but you know when we are stressed out out of our minds and we are you know not sure how to think straight and frustrated and you know just feel so overwhelmed you know it more times than not isn't our our reaction more like this than you know like Job who tears his garments and says look you're the only one who can get me where I need to be you know and and anyway, and so it's just, it's a self-evaluation, I think, chapter for myself, mm-hmm. or I know it is for myself, of, you know, what is my response when, you know, when all the stressors are hitting me all at once, it feels like, is it, you know, to lash out and should I get this for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or is it to humble myself and say God is the one who can provide and, you know, and, and turn to him and get what we need from him? So anyway, I appreciated it for that reason. Um, Cherry, was there anything no. else before we close out on no. that chapter? No, I think we all covered it pretty good. Okay, well, next time we'll be covering the next few chapters, and I appreciate uh, all your good words and in- encouragement, um, and I'm looking forward to continuing on until we finish numbers. Uh, it is a shorter one, um, and we've got, what is it, 30, how many, 36? No, 30, 34. Yeah, 36. 36. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Chapters left, I mean, uh, in total. Um, So anyway, for next time, uh, those who may be listening before next week will, of course, uh, be breaking for Thanksgiving holidays. But then after that, we'll post the next time we get together. If anybody else would like to join us, we would love it. Thanks so much.